allow Satan to sometimes get up in our grill because, not because God's like, I don't know if Mark's going to make it today. I don't know if Nick is going to pull through. See, that would make God dumb and he doesn't know the beginning and the end. He doesn't know anything. He doesn't know the future. God knows tomorrow. You and I don't. But he allows it so you and I can mature and grow and get strengthened. You and I don't know how we're going to handle a certain situation. You can only assume that if you had a death in your family, the death of one of your children, how you would handle it. the ways God works through a believer's life is by allowing Satan to challenge them. As Pastor Mark explains, God doesn't do this because he is unsure of the outcome. He does this as a way to further the purification of a believer. God is sovereign. He knows the beginning, middle, and end of your life. But sometimes you need a little nudge or a challenge to grow your faith in God. Even when Satan is allowed in your life, God is in control. Today, you'll look at the life of King David and Job and see that even though Satan brought destruction to their life, they both continued to worship God. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 24 for today's edition of Come Alive. 2 Samuel chapter 24, it says, Again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. So we come to the last chapter of 2 Samuel, and if you're a student of the Bible, and you should be, then you have probably noticed that the same story occurs in First Chronicles chapter 21. So if you turn there, put your finger right there, just, just mark it, First Chronicles chapter 21. We'll be there in a minute. I'm going to have you guys look at something, or you can turn there now, but don't start reading. One would have to ask, why is this story the same story in two places in the Bible? And maybe it could be, we could say, because it's really, really important and God wants to see, wants us to see and know the importance of it. Or we could say reputation is a great teacher. And there's another reason. And so if reason one would be for us to tell us once more the reason, then number two would be to teach us much more, to teach us much more. If you've ever read a portion of scripture in your life and you notice it and you read it and you're like, oh man, that's cool. And then maybe a day or two later, you read it again, and it kind of speaks to you in a different way. Sometimes that's, that's what happens when we read those portions of Scripture, and we think, that's cool. But the second time, we might find something really, really that speaks to us, that instructs, that guides us, and it's a life-changing a phrase or a piece of Scripture that we pull out of there. The second time will allow you to see something you didn't see the first time sometimes. Maybe you just read over it, you didn't understand it, and a year later, you've grown in the Lord, and you're a little more mature, and you see something there. And you're like, wow, man, that's awesome. And so that's why I cannot stress enough the importance of daily reading your Bible, having a Bible study, getting intimate with the Lord. Verse 1, if we look inductively at this verse, is what we want to do first and foremost. Um, This verse, we can see the object of God's wrath. The object of God's wrath would be Israel, right? That's easy to see that, uh, that the object of the wrath is, is Israel. Pretty clear. And now we have to find out who the agent of that wrath is. And when we look, we see that it is God, that God is the agent of that wrath. 
being Israel, the agent God is how this will take place or what instrument will God use to make this happen is going to be David. So the object, the agent, and the instrument. But in First Chronicles, if you're there, turn with me there if you're not. First Chronicles tells us something a little different. Chapter 21, verse 1, we're going to see a different agent. 21, verse 1 says, Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. The same story from chapter 24 of 2 Samuel to 1 Chronicles chapter 21. And you might say, and see there, there it is. You say there's no contradictions in the Bible, and we just found one. You might be thinking that, but I would say you're very wrong if you think there is a contradiction in the Bible. So what's going on? Is it a contradiction or is it not? You might feel a little confused, and that's okay. In one place, we're told God's the agent. At this place, it looks as if Satan is the agent. So what do we have here? Do we have a contradiction or do we have a disagreement? No, we don't. Not at all. The object and instrument remain the same, right? The object and the instrument remain the same. We see that David is the instrument. The object is, the, is Israel. But if we believe that God's word is what we say it is, true and 100% accurate, then I think God's trying to say something to us in both of these. And what's he trying to say? Well, so we can understand this, turn to the New Testament book of James chapter 1. James chapter 1 verse 13. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin, when it's full grown, it brings forth death. Second Samuel 24 reports that it was God who moved David. God who moved David to number the Israelites. Here we read it was Satan. And then James tells us God doesn't tempt, that God doesn't tempt. So God sovereignly and permissively sometimes allows Satan to be an agent as well, to tempt us, to cause us discomfort, to cause us to be tricked. In other words, it's what we call the permission principle, the permission principle. If you turn to the book of Job chapter one, turn there with me and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Job chapter 1, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. The sons of God would be the angels. And look who's there with them. Satan also came along among them. Verse 7. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And so Satan says, and answered the Lord, from going to and fro on the earth, walking back and forth on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? that there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and all his possessions. You have increased it in the land, but now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And now there was a day when his sons and his daughters, speaking of Job's sons and daughters, were eating and drinking. They were drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, Oxen are plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them when the Sabaeans raided and raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped. 
to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and all the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, the Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels and took them away. Yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell on the ground and he worshiped. He worshiped. All the bad stuff, this guy's still able to worship. So here, going back to, we're told that Job's walking blameless. He hadn't done anything wrong. He's obeying what he understands as to worship of God. And so we're told that Satan approaches God, interacts with him. Satan is there. He says he believes the only reason Job does what he does and that he's as popular and he's as happy and he's as as righteous as he is is because God had given it to him all, that he's got all these blessings. And so he says, if you allow me to touch him, and you might think, well, here it says, well, God asked, you know, have you considered Job? See, you got Satan walking back and forth. He's pacing. He's probably saying, you know what? He's considering Job. God knowing all things. He knows the thoughts of Satan, right? And Satan's probably thinking about Job. So he's like, I see you're considering Job. Have you considered Job? Satan answers, yes. Yes, I've been thinking about Job and all the stuff that Job has and all his blessings and all the things. And I'm wondering, God, if, if, you, would, if you just not bless him anymore, if you let these things happen, will he curse you? God, knowing the end from the very beginning, God knows what's going to happen. But he says, go ahead, Satan, I'll show you something. Satan suggests that if God were to remove some of those blessings, that Job would curse him. God says, go for it. So God uses Satan here sometimes do stuff. He allows Satan to do these certain things. But here's the great thing that you and I have to understand with all of this. No matter what happens to you and I, Satan has to ask permission. And if it's too much, then God says no, because he says, hey, don't lay a hand on him. Don't kill him. Don't do anything. Only do this. I'll let you do this. You can have the power to do these things. And so what's Job do? He, Satan does all this stuff to him. And Job worships God still. And so as you read the story, you'll see some great stuff in there. But see, God uses sometimes Satan to judge sinners as according to Mark 4.15, 2 Corinthians 4.4. God uses Satan to judge sinners. He also uses him to refine the saints, the Christians, you and I, and to discipline those in the church and to further the purification of obedient believers because he allows Satan to sometimes get up in our grill because not because God's like, well, I don't know if Mark's going to make it today. I don't know if Nick is going to pull through. See, that would make God dumb, and he doesn't know the beginning and the end. He doesn't know anything. He doesn't know the future. God knows tomorrow. You and I don't. But he allows it so you and I can mature and grow and get strengthened. You and I don't know how we're going to handle a certain situation. You can only assume that if you had a death in your family, the death of one of your children, how you would handle it. Some of you might go, oh man, I'd lose it. I'd go crazy. I'll go nuts. And that might be very true. But you might be able to handle it better than somebody else would be able to handle it. But you don't know exactly how you're going to handle it. And you don't know if that is ever going to happen. So in Job's life, Satan uses the forces of wind and rain to destroy crops and homes and children. Satan was given permission by God to tempt Job. He's also given permission by God to tempt you. Do you know that? Because the Bible tells us Satan walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So God's got to give him permission to do that. So maybe today you won't be tempted. Praise the Lord. God didn't give him permission for it, but maybe tomorrow, who knows? So in 2 Samuel 24, we see that 
here, David has sinned. And Satan was given permission by God to tempt Job. He's given permission by God to tempt you. He's also given permission by God to tempt David at this point in time. But here's what I want to say. Satan doesn't force us to sin. God doesn't force us to sin. You and I choose. We have a choice. Though we have laws and we have police officers, the police officer is not going to force you to stop. He can only suggest by holding his hand out if there was a traffic officer out there. If you chose not to stop, then you chose to get a ticket after you run over his shiny shoes and he chases you down. So here the sin surfaced in David's proud heart and God dealt with him for it. Sometime after the events of chapter 21 is when this chapter 24 in 2 Samuel takes place. And so sometimes after that, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. Notice it says it burned against Israel. Now, the reason for the Lord's wrath isn't really stated, but it's on previous occasions. It must have stemmed from some, some type of violation, some aspect that the, the children of Israel had violated in the Torah, their Bible. In order to bring judgment against Israel, the Lord incited David to take a census. He allowed Satan to put that idea in David's head over here in First Chronicles. And so the writer's attribution of the action to the Lord's is not contradictory in chapter 21 of, of First Chronicles. It just reflects the understanding that God is God. He's the Lord of the universe and exercising dominion over all powers, all powers and authorities, whether in heaven or on earth. So from this position of utmost strength, the Lord apportions power to lesser beings, such as angels, such as Satan, to be used in forcing moral aspects in the created order. And so the Bible teaches that God empowers even destructive beings, whether superhuman or even human, in limited ways to bring judgment and ultimately redemption. And you might be like, what? I don't get it. Why would he do that? Well, why doesn't he just make everything perfect? Well, if good and evil exist, then evil's there, and we might choose to do some evil act. And so God says, okay, here, I want you to see your mistakes. I want you to see how foolish and how ignorant, how dumb that evil thing is that you've done, and I want to redeem you from it. I want to buy you back. I want to give you an opportunity. I want to show you grace and mercy. Uh, But it's only through repentance that that can happen. And so here he uses human and superhuman. And he brings to enforce moral order, enabling Satan to entice David to act foolishly. How many of you have been enticed to act foolishly? All of us could raise our hands and say, yeah, you know. And so Satan's like, yeah, I've enticed you to act like a fool and do foolish things. And so here the powerful protective covering over my life is God. It says in the Bible that he always allows a way of escape. He doesn't force us into a pigeonhole and say, hey, you're stuck with that thought. You're stuck with it. You need to run with it. Uh, There's a way out. He doesn't give you and I anything that we cannot handle. So what's this do for us? Well, it allows us to see and know that there is this powerful protective covering over our life. God's not going to give me more than I can handle. The fact that the Lord oversees the entire judgment process should just totally comfort you and I. It should make us excited to understand that it's ultimately over all of humanity as well if they choose the Lord. It means that no evil action can occur that is not subject to God's oversight and divinely imposed limitations. Do we understand that? Do we get that as Christians? We have to. Because if we don't, we walk around going, oh man, I have no choice in this. But you do, you have a choice. It also means that nothing can occur in the universe without God ultimately using it for good. No matter what happens in your life, God can ultimately use it for good. 
It, it all has to filter through God. We could call it the father filter. There's a filter. It all goes through God. Satan says, hey, I want to tempt this guy. I want to tempt Mark in this area. And God says, ah, you know what? I don't think Mark's ready for that. See, God's hand is on the thermostat. And you can like, oh, you know, that's a little too much, but let me bring it down a little. Let me cool that idea off and let's, let's go with it there because it, he's not going to give me anything more than I can handle. Or he might say, yeah, you know what? He can handle that. Let's actually heat it up a little bit. Mark can handle a little more. But ultimately, it all filters through God. See, he wants to purge us. He wants to transform us. He wants to purify and change your life. He, he doesn't want you just there where you're at comfortable, like, oh, everything's good. I've graduated for, I mean, that's like a kid saying, I only want to do first grade, mom, and that's it. I'm, I'm cool with it. And we as parents going, oh, okay, that's great. That, that's my son right now. Why do I need to go to second grade, dad? I sort of know how to read. Okay, can you read this word? P-P-E-O-P-O-L-E? No, that's people. That's probably a word you'd want to know when you learn to read. So let, let's, let's try to get you on to moving up a little bit. And then when you get to eighth grade, you can come revisit the whole, I want to drop out again, and we'll see what you know then. He'll probably still be sounding out letters the rate he's going these last couple of days. And so, you know, we as parents care enough to spend the time to teach him and, and show them the right ways. And so God says, hey, I know what he is. And, and I constantly hear from both of my children as we're helping them with schoolwork, it's too hard. Well, how about this one? Is this too hard? And like, no, that's easy. Well, remember when you said that was too hard last year? Yeah. Well, it is. It always gets harder. And they just look at you like, are you kidding me? I, I want to be tr- honest and true. I mean, life just gets harder with us as adults. It doesn't get easier. I mean, at what point does life get real easy? I'll tell you, when you die and go to heaven. But you got to get to heaven. And so in life is a tough life. See, God knows what I can handle and what I can't handle and because I belong to him. I know what my kids can handle and can't handle because they belong to me. God allows me to manage those little lives. And we have that special filter, the father filter. And he will allow situations in your life to make and develop you into the great object he wants you to be. You have opportunity to be a great object only if you choose to do that. Well, we may not understand why this thing is happening, and that's okay because that thing he allows us to see, our Father in heaven has all the more, well, he has all the more reason to be God at that point because we don't understand it. It gives him that opportunity to remain God as God and us, man, well, we're man. We won't understand everything God does. And the minute you do understand everything God does, well, he's no longer God. So, so don't fool yourself with that. Look at verse 2. Let's move on. So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, Now go throughout all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and count all the people that I may know the number of the people. And Joab said to the king, Now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times more than there are. And may the eyes of my lord the king see it. But why does my lord the king desire this thing? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the army. Therefore, Joab and the captains of the army went out from the presence of the king to count the people of Israel. So what sin is it that David commits? Well, the evil thing that David did was counting the people. You might be thinking, well, I've read this chapter, and later on at the end, we know that 70,000 people will die because the people were counted. And so in Deuteronomy 17, God asks the kings 
not to, number one, multiply horses, number two, not to multiply wives, and number three, not to multiply gold and silver. And so he was not to multiply for the purpose of trusting in anything else. It wasn't the fact that it was horses or wives or, or gold and silver. There's nothing wrong with those things. He just wasn't, it was, it was to say, you are not allowed to trust in those things. You are to trust in me. And as we taught on, on Wednesday night, the best form of government, David says a theocracy, and that's true, but is a monarchy. Every time you see it, God's set up as a king. It's a monarchy. That's the best form of government. And so that's what God endorses. But here we see that he says not for kings not to multiply horses, wives, or gold and silver. And it's basically, if you're a king, you should trust in God and in God only. If you're a, a, a child of the king, you and I, children of the king, well, we should only trust in God and God only in all our decision-making processes. So what are you trusting in? And not the strength of horses or an army, not in women or in money. But why was it okay? Let me ask you another question. Why was it okay for Moses to count the people, but not David? Oh, when we study our Bible, I'm one of those guys that study, and I'm always looking for loopholes, trying to figure out, well, you know, can I get out of this thing? Because I blew it, and I need to figure out, so I start looking. And it's the same thing, like I told you guys before, on the days that are real cloudy, I sin less because the Bible says the Lord's coming back on, on a cloud in the clouds. And so when it's a clear day, I'm like, well, there's no, no cloud, so I'm, I'm pretty good. He's not coming back today. So what then created the problem in this census? Was either David's motivation for the census or the manner in which it was carried out? It was one of the two things. And so perhaps it was undertaken for the purposes of self-promotion. I mean, you think about this. David's never commanded or been king over this many people ever in his whole life. And so uh, maybe it was self-promotion. David may have wanted to know how many Israelite males above the age of 20 there were in Israel in order to be able to boast more accurately and say, man, I got a huge army. I'm big. I'm the leader of this army. Or alternatively, it may be that David didn't require all the enrolled males to pay the half-shekel ransom required by the Torah in Exodus 30, an oversight guaranteed to bring a plague against Israel. So maybe he's like, oh, you know what? We need to count all these guys and make sure we're getting enough money. Go count the money over there. Go count all the people, see if it all adds up. If it doesn't, we need to tax them. And you know what? Maybe it could have been. Speaking in favor of this second option is the fact that on a previous occasion, David had failed to enforce the Torah regulations for an otherwise permissible action, permissible action of transporting the Ark of the Covenant. But it had a disastrous action at the end, an effect on one human being, because that guy reached out to stabilize it, touched it, which he wasn't allowed to do, and he died. We're so glad you tuned in today to Pastor Mark's teaching here on Come Alive. Pastor Mark has been walking us through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, unlocking the blessings, truth, and love found within its verses. We know that reading God's Word can be difficult to squeeze into your schedule sometimes, so having something to listen to instead can help. With that in mind, we'd like to let you know about our Come Alive podcast. We've made Pastor Mark's messages available to you for free so that you can take them with you on the go, making hearing the Word so much more convenient. Search for Come Alive on iTunes or on Google Play and subscribe to have a notification sent to you as soon as we post new editions. Thanks again for tuning in today to Come Alive. If you'd like to learn more about this ministry and the church behind it, please visit us online at comealiveradio.com. 
If you're living in or near Katy, Texas, we'd also like to invite you to come see us in person at Calvary Chapel Katy. We're a laid-back group of Jesus followers, and we love inviting new people to come join us in seeking the Father and praising His name. Find service times and directions to our church when you visit our website, comealiveradio.com. That's all we have time for today. We pray you continue to find Jesus through His Word and in everything you do. Join us next time for another in-depth look at the Bible, right here on Come Alive.